0: Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of the Offsite Podcast, where we chat all things construction and technology. My name's Carlos, and I spend most of my days talking to construction teams about how they deliver projects. And I'm Jason, and I build software that construction
1: teams use to deliver their projects. How are you today, Carlos?
0: Yeah, pretty good, thanks. Pretty good. Um, yeah, it's nice to do the intro that we're not re really recording that time, <laughs> how are you doing? You're
1: supposed to not let people poke behind the, peek behind the curtain. Uh, I'm excited about uh, a guest today. And then I think you're off to Germany next week. Is that right?
0: Uh, yeah, part Germany. So we're, we're flying into Copenhagen, um, but we're going to the FemOn link tunnel project. So we get to see the Copenhagen side, or I should say the Danish side in FemOn, and then zipping around to see the German side too. So doing a nice little side tour and taking Rob over from the design team. So yeah, it should be good.
1: Site tours in uh, Europe and the UK are definitely nicer than those uh, <laughs> down
0: here. Yeah, yeah. there's just lots of nothing between each thing, right? And then like heavy construction uh, projects.
1: Not again. You, this That's your other podcast where you just smash Australia.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> fire Right. So today we have a guest, um, senior project manager, worked for Langer Rock, currently working on the uh, HS2 Interchange station. Uh, previous projects include Battersea Power Station um, on the Northern Line extension and Tottenham Court Road on Crossrail. He's got way more experience than Jason and I combined. So uh, welcome to the pod, Calvin Palace. How are you doing? Good morning, Jens. Um I'll I wouldn't say about that experience thing too loud.
2: Um, it, it's amazing what you can get away with when you're out for, for so long.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So um, I'm quite excited today because most podcast guests if you listen to other construction podcasts they're all very very senior professional ivory tower type individuals rather than real project managers delivering real projects they're not very close to the detail you are so yeah i'm excited for this one so i'm gonna get stuck straight into the weeds you're obviously in the design and planning phase of interchange station um could you tell us a bit about the scope um so at, at the moment it's 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 early
2: days for well, HS2. Um, we're, we're looking to see how affordable and how capable the, the current design is. And it's making sure that we can, we can provide HS2 and the DFT, the the, the design that Birmingham interchange requires. Um, it's, it's interesting. It, it's challenging, um, especially with some of the constraints that we have um, at the moment with rising costs and bits and pieces. Um, and, it, and, it, and it is
0: difficult but it it, it is a, a really satisfying job to be on good stuff and um in terms of the station itself it obviously sits outside of cursor street in the central birmingham station what does the overall scope kind of look like if you were to summarize
2: it's well it, it, it's, it's the only new station for um hs2 it's the link that that feeds the airport and, and one of the, one of the main reasons to to, to actually facilitate the, the the high speed rail into birmingham um, to get people to the airport and it it's a very similar concept to um i think to Ebb's fleet. um yeah in for some the instances.
0: Um, high speed one yeah.
2: that's it yeah, it's it's a very very similar concept it's 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 a, it's a midpoint transit area but because of all of the regeneration that's going around in the area as well, it will actually become a focal point. Uh, and once once the the actual triangle space is re- regenerated around it uh, and, and built upon, and they have got some fantastic plans for it, then it, it'll it'll become uh, its own hub within within a, within a small suburb again.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, and. So that's going to be, a re, I guess, a hub, similar to kind of older common with London, I guess. It's kind of the outer city hub for, uh, for that particular station. Is that actually where the line yeah. splits? So it, line you sort of head north and then you split to either Birmingham Airport or the city? Or is it all the same sort of line, but an outside sort of station?
2: No, so it's the same line through, but there, there is a, um, a transport link uh, that, that goes from interchange, To the NEC and then over to to Birmingham Airport. So it's a high-speed transit link, very similar to DLR. Um, So it's
0: it's non-manned. Okay, awesome. So um, obviously your backgrounds, I mentioned Crossrail, Northern Line Extension, and now obviously moving on to HS2. Um, What would you say as a senior project manager on those jobs, what were the biggest learnings that you would take to HS2 from those projects? Look at the detail. Understand understand the end game.
2: Because if you don't know where you want to get to, you tend to lose your path as you get there. Um, And if you've got clients or end users who are unsure of what they require, then you've got to guide them. You 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 you've got to help them to to understand what they want to get out of the project,
0: um, because it, it could change over time. These, these these things often do. Absolutely. So I guess you're constantly you you're like the middleman between all of the detail and then bigger picture because you're constantly like you have sight of full program end result, uh, design and everything that you're trying to herd. <laughs> uh, the, I don't want to refer to engineers as cattle, but the cattle beneath. They're to, I guess, rally to that endpoint.
2: It It is that, but the, I mean, the, the understanding is that as a project manager or senior project manager or, or whatever, within the office environment, I'm purely a facilitator. I, I, I don't do anything else. I, I, I just, just sit there all day. But my, my job is to facilitate the guys on the ground or, or the, the teams on the ground, getting to where they need to get to because they're the ones that de- develop and build... And, and people build things, processes are there to help. And the, the data will always be there and that's so how we manage that
0: data. But my job is purely facilitator. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess touching on that and agnostic of any tools, um, just sort of process, how do you run planning on your project or typically? It's a difficult one because we need to change. Um, oh, you,
2: You've you've known me for a while. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm a pure advocate of last man planning. And and I, I think it's the right way to go because I want people to have ownership. And if they have ownership and they've bought into the task and they've bought into the detail, then they will deliver. And if they don't deliver, then they, they they'll own it and you can move past that. Um the thing that scares people generally is the unknowns and that's that's what gets the people blood pressure up. If they don't know what's going on, then that that's what, what gets them. Um I'm a real advocate of the planners setting the milestones and then monitoring, uh, but not necessarily setting the full plan. Because I don't think there's no, no, no disrespect to any of planners because I've known some great, great planners, but they don't necessarily know the full detail. And they can't be out there 24-7 because they don't know what's going on all the time, which is why it really has to be the boots on the ground, the supervisors, the engineers, the package managers that own the plan and then they feed into the milestones. That's, that's the only way it works for me.
0: Yeah, if you look at the size of these schedules, it's impossible for a planner to know the detail of everything, right? Um, so getting no, the guys right. at the cold face who are closest to the works to own those tasks, it, it does make a lot of sense. Um, I feel like Jason's itching to say something. Jason? <laughs> you- do you want to jump in.
1: No, we we have a we we have a rule, Calvin, where we don't try and talk over each other because I've been accused of <laughs> yeah. uh, talking over Carlos in the past. But uh, Calvin, it's lo- lovely lovely to meet you, uh, mate. You said something before which almost I jumped in on, which was is about keeping sight of the end game. Um, if you're you know you're talking about the lessons to take from previous projects, and that immediately got me thinking about uh, some previous projects I've worked on, like big jobs like a like a crossrail, right? Where, um. There's, a, there's an outcome to be delivered, but the project is so long, the amount of people that end up working on that project as it gets bigger and bigger, you know, grows and grows and grows. And the amount of complexity and detail that gets thrown up as you're trying to, like, bring together, you know, uh, architectural requirements, finishes, m uh, everything uh everything. That endgame can uh, definitely can get lost sight of. And, you know, suddenly the whole thing becomes about some side track you know side quest that we're working on how can you it, with a project with so many people and and uh, that lasts such a long time um how can you keep sight of that how can a project keep sight of that end end goal it's fairly basic
2: in, in reality and it sounds really really um wrong of me to say that is you have your key milestones and they 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 are your stepping stone to get to where you need to be. And depending on the size and 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 however complex things get, then you have to trust people. You have to give people the milestones, and trust in them to deliver. And they will generally nine times out of ten they they, they will do that. It's it's not in our nature for most people, not to want to deliver. We're, we're in the game, especially construction is, and for engineers they want to solve problems. They, they, they want to do things correctly they, they, they want to make sure that they get to the end goal and as long as you' are quite specific with the steps that you want to get to and you articulate how, why, when so that they can understand what they're feeding into and they buy into the logic, then it makes it, it makes it so much easier
1: and. And what about in like that? You're obviously in a design phase at, at the moment, and and in my head it was kind of that design and design development where uh, that end game or the end goal of what is this project delivering can sometimes get a little bit lost, and that's where you're kind of you know negotiating you know requirements between a client, the contractors, you know designers that you might have engaged. That was kind of what I triggered in my main my mind when you said um, keeping that end goal goal in sight, um, is that also a challenge on on the job? Like um, remembering what the like core thing we're trying to deliver is.
2: Yeah, of course it is. I mean, you when you when you look, at the the service provider, the architect, the the final client, they all they all potentially have different drivers. And for me, one of the one of the biggest ones is bless them, the architects. They, 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 they have some fantastic vision, and I, and I really don't know where they get it from sometimes. Their vision is fantastic. Buildability of that vision can be a little bit difficult at times. Uh, and you do, you, as a main contractor, you you've, you've span that middle ground between the, the hope and aspirations and the architectural intent uh, and the actual buildability and affordability. And you 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 drag well, not drag that back, but you you trying to get some realization into it of what's what's achievable. Especially nowadays, when you think of the environment, health and safety, uh, and everything else that we need to do, then then that there is a big ask. But the architects and some of the things that they come come up with are oh, fantastic.
1: Yeah, it can it can be definitely difficult. Where you know, as the project, I don't know, maybe this is um, over reflecting on my own experience, but as the project evolves and gets bigger and bigger, and, and time goes by. You know, you can find that those architectural, you know, ideas start to creep into requirements and then the cost, you know, cost creeps up and, uh, yeah, having, you know, you you can't be in every single conversation, you know, suddenly, you know, death by a thousand cuts, there's all these little details that, uh, you know, add 50% to the cost.
2: Uh, and, and that's it, exactly that. You've, you've got to trust your teams around you. And it's just like I said <laughs> at the beginning. It's amazing what you can get away with being being able to blag it for so long. Just having a fantastic team around you, Do you know I mean, and 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 trusting them explicitly to to get the job
1: done. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think to to maybe change tack Then um, this kind of is a is an interesting segue because when I when I looked at your um, background, uh, I immediately thought of like some of the the greatest engineers and project managers that I've worked with uh, over ten, fifteen years, or whatever. They've all been so many of them have been from a military background, and as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about like names and faces of people I've worked with, and and um, and obviously your background is is uh, from the the military, Calvin. Yeah. And I guess do you agree with that statement of like the, there's like some strong correlation between like really high quality engineers and project managers, um, and and uh, a background in the forces, and what do you think and you know what do you think drives that? Um.
2: Look, first of all, <laughs> thanks a lot. I mean, to, to, to put me in that position with with, with so like those people you've obviously worked with is a, uh, a bit of an accolade. Um, yeah, look, I, I think I, I would agree. Not necessarily for myself, but I've, I've known some fantastic people that are from uh, from 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 forces background who've moved into construction, and it's 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 one of those key items. I think that we 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 believe in the the team mentality. It tends to be we rather than me, and they tend to have an adaption of being able to control a room, control an environment, control people, but without controlling them uh, and and treating people for people's sake, but understanding what the end goal is. and I think that's 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 one of the main drivers um and you, you tend to most, most people in the military, um, join at a very early age. They're, they formative years. Um, so it, it tends to instill in you a set of morals and values that you take forward for the rest of your life, for good or bad. Um, can be a little bit fiery at times. I can be very blunt at times as well, which the, the inner chimp in me screams and it, and it's, it's taken, it's taken years to get past that. Um, but on the whole, I'd say that yeah, the, the the military and the skills that you gain not only in a professional background but as a as a person, it it, it sets you up to be a fantastic um, component within a business.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree. I think there's like uh, the people I'm thinking of, and there's been quite a number of them, uh, and they're all they're you know they're all definitely firm. Uh, uh, you, you—they're definitely energetic, um, and but you feel like you're part of a team, and you're not—you don't feel like you're working for any of them, but you're working with them, and you get exactly. kind of that, you know, like kind of what you want from a like a captain, coach of a, a football team or something like that type of uh of, of feeling, Calvin, um, for sure.
2: Yeah, and and I think and it's it's all part of that ethos of, of you're in it together, to shared experience, um, and. Look, I've I've been really, really lucky to have some really good, good young teams working with me. And I say young, and they have been young. I feel like a right old knacker now, the other side of fifty. Everything's going, everything's going downhill, and bits and pieces are dropping off. But but the younger teams, they are fantastic, and the people coming through now, um, do you know what I mean? They, they 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 really shine, and they make it easy for people like me. They really, really do
1: yeah yeah that's cool and I think like something that a lot of folks uh, are definitely passionate about is like this like transition from the forces to like to like a civilian more professional role um and obviously as we spoke about' was, like th- those folks have a, have a ton to offer um how did you find it i guess when you when you when you made the transition and and, I, and probably why 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 had you end up in construction
2: it was it was hard the the transition was 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 really really hard. I think the military's got a lot better now. Um when I got out in, in two thousand, it was a bit of a difficult time. Um and a, a good friend of mine, who's a senior PM in Australia, um, got me into construction. Small small civil civil construction firm uh, back in the UK there. Um and it it was just from there. And it was it was literally starting from scratch. Um, out on the tools, supervisor and, and just just working my way through over the last sort twenty odd years or so. Um well, yeah, it was difficult. You you feel, I mean, I joined the army at sixteen, and you you feel you feel as though you've lost a bit of your family when you get out because you're isolated, you're all alone. But however many years you've had, everything there around you, you you've had structure, you've had guidance. You, you know what your job is. Yeah, you might be working twenty four hours a day, but you know what you're doing. And you've all you've always had your mates around you and, and whatever that is. And you come out in the civilian life, and that's it. You, you're by yourself. And it, it, is, it is quite traumatic. It's difficult.
1: Yeah, I, when I was working, when I, when I first started in, uh, as an engineer after I graduated, I worked for a company in Australia, uh, John Holland yep. uh, Group. And uh, we used to have an exchange program with the Royal uh, Engineers yep. and um, used to send folks over for six months or a year. And um, uh, every one of the folks that came over were, were brilliant that worked on different projects with us. Uh, and I think programs like that—they must do a lot to to helping that, um, like give people certain skills that could make that transition easier.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, you, you say John Holland's uh, and it, the 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 guy who got me into construction, actually in Australia, he was in—he was—he was working with John. I'm not too sure if he's still there at the moment. Um, I don't want to name drop him on here, but we've...
1: yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll definitely. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll definitely ask you who it is after when I, yeah. when, I uh, when we finish, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it is a small world, so it is. Yeah. I guess, it, I guess, um, the other question I had, Calvin was if I, if I look, uh, you've obviously worked for a number of big contractors over your career since, uh, since you started with that, with that smaller one you're talking about. Only two. And, and. Well, yeah, like Taylor Woodrow, Vinci, and then and then Langs. Yeah, so uh, so
2: Ted Taylor Woodrow yeah. was bought out by Vinci, the Vinci Grand Project. Yep. so it's the same company, and then Langs.
1: And like Lang I worked for the last sort of eight eight odd years. Is that is that right? That's it. Yeah. Because like I guess one of the things I was talking to Carlos about recently was uh, at, at Apex, we, we've got this, so we get the opportunity to work with contractors across UK, Europe, Australia, New Zealand. And so we've got this pleasure of interacting with uh, teams from all different companies every day. And uh, something just strikes me different about Langer Rock. Whenever I'm interacting with, with teams from Langer Rock, I don't know. The way that they deliver projects is like a, definitely a little bit different, but um, I think most significantly, I don't think I've ever met like a more consistently engaged group of people. Uh, everyone, everyone on a project seems to be really positive about the company. They're like really engaged in their role. And I think the most, the thing that strikes me the most is that they all seem to be like uh, understanding their role in the context of like the, the broader project and the company. And so I guess inside the, the tent, would you think it's the same? Like if you compared to say uh, Vinci, is there something different about Langarock uh, compared to other contractors?
2: I think there is because, because a lot of it is self delivery and the, the, the way O'Rourke work is and it's, it and it's a strange one for for the eight years that I've been there. You work hard, you play hard, um. you you have a clear understanding of who you are and where you are and what you do, the same as your, your team around you does as well, and and it's about people and you you give somebody the opportunity, the guidance, and the advice to do their job, and you trust them to do it and and, and you left to, you get you get paid to do a job, do your job. And it's and it's and it's really, really in in fact I wouldn't say it it's it, it, it's it's fantastic to, to, to be valued enough to, to get on and do the job. You, you get paid to do it. And I think once you get the same people who who have the same similar sort of values together, then the momentum that it gives you as a company, as a business is, is, is fantastic.
1: Can you think of like what might like drive it? Is it is it um is it like a culture thing? Is it you know, is it something about the company being a private company and having some of those values still? I um Yeah. I, do you... I imagine it's not by accident, Calvin.
2: No, it's not. I mean it, it is it is I'm gonna sound like a right company man at the moment. But it, it, it is generally driven from the top. And and do you know what I mean? And and it and it is. It's being a, being a privately owned company, then you have certain people that you report to. You you have you have certain details that you need to provide. And it's quite clear. And and it's, the, the, the the governance and the guidance is is there. Um and yeah and I think being being privately owned is 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 different. Um and, and the and the drivers are different and you can you can change a lot a lot quicker than if you were hamstrung by um another sort of organisation. Because you you don't you do not mean you, you can be you can be driven whichever way you need to be driven quite quickly without worrying about change and it, it's it's fantastic.
1: Yeah, definitely. It, it does seem unique. Uh, Carlos, sorry, back to you, mate.
0: I was uh, I was like so intently listening to that that I was like, I oh, shit, I need to think about like what, are, what, are, what are I what I going to ask next. No, one thing that um, I found really interesting is if <laughs> you've got a lot of focus on like milestones and beating the drum to get everyone to focus on these milestones and like you're at work with a purpose and it kind of reminded me of like there were two different types of QSs back then as a QS some would just turn up they do their job they work on CEs they pay their subbies and they leave and then there's another type of QS that's thinking about like are we actually making money on this package what are the upcoming milestones are we going to hit them damages and those two different mindsets are like why you need the blunt and fiery that you mentioned like sometimes you just need to rattle the room and shake everyone and go we're actually here to to win this job not just to do our work each day so you know I had to give a shout out to the QSers at some point doing this but um yeah I think it's the same idea that like I think you need the blunt and fiery um because otherwise people in the room just don't get the importance of what we're actually doing it's not like you're working in some admin role you turn up you do stuff you go home and as long as you you Did it to an extent, it's fine. Um,
1: no, yeah. so, um, and that's
0: I hope right. you Shout out the QS's too, is what I'm saying.
2: Look, they're, 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 they've all got their, their role to play, um, and they are far better than me understanding the money side of it. Um, in fact, most people are better than
0: me in most things, but that's 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 a different story. <laughs> You're underselling yourself, Calvin. Right, uh, we're probably um, a little bit over time. Oh, sorry. You saying something? No, no, that's fine. Self-reflection <laughs> is good. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Calvin, uh, it's been awesome having you on the pod today. So thank you very much for joining. I uh, really appreciate your time. No, thank look, Calvin. thank you very much for, for
2: um, having me on. Hope, hopefully I haven't bored everybody to death by now.
0: Absolutely not. Um, and that is certainly, all we have time for today. Not. So thank you very much, everything, everyone, for listening today.